0: Hello, and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Elida, and today's guest is H. Wiley. H, who uses the pronouns they, them, is an actor, singer, and trans inclusivity consultant in the performing arts. In this episode, we cover some of the basic definitions and language used when talking about gender constructs and challenging them. We also discuss the importance of the arts in driving social change and what the industry can do to be more aware and inclusive when it comes to transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming performers. It's a really interesting chat, full of depth and nuance, so I'm excited to share it with you. H, Hello, welcome. Thank hello. you so much for coming onto to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, I know you as uh, an actor, uh, a singer, and a consultant. Um, when you meet somebody new, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Oh, I think that depends Depends heavily on context. Um, in any professional setting, I always go, hi, I'm H, my pronouns are they them, um, and, you know, let that hang in the room. Um, but I don't know, in personal life, just generally H and let people be slightly confused because they've never heard that name before. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, um, and...
0: If you are in a rehearsal or a workshop or professional setting, mm-hmm. um, and someone misgenders you, mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you handle it? What do you what do you say? What do you do?
1: Um, generally, when I'm working with people for like an extended period of time, I'll say at the beginning of the process, like if someone is misgenders me in this process, I will just interject with the correct pronoun, just correct yourself, and move on. So mm-hmm. normally. If we're tracking along and someone says the wrong pronoun, I'll just interject with a little they, and then someone will go, oh, sorry, they, and then carry on. Um, If it's kind of an audition scenario where I've just met people or this kind of thing, for example, um, I might... I mean, it's always different in auditions because there's a little bit of a power thing going on as well. mm -hmm. But um, it depends in the context. It's the kind of thing where it's like we're all in a rush and I don't have time to say anything without... You know, um, explain beforehand because if people then go on a five-minute apology rant, that's worse. <laughs> um, yes. So yes. I did recently an audition. Um, the accompanist misgendered me, and I thought, you know what? It's okay, don't <laughs> worry because I, I personally don't want to pick that up. Um, and if someone else had wanted to pick that up, they'd be well within their own right. But I was like, I don't want to pick you up in this scenario. Um, wow. But then later on, um, one of the panel misgendered me and I went, sorry, it's happened twice now. They, they, them. And everyone just went, yes. oh, cool, sorry, and carried on, which is great. So they handled it really well. But I think it does depend on the situation um, and your own personal moment, because it's exhausting to do. Yeah. So of I don't do it every time. I do it most of the time. And especially if I'm in a room with the same people for an elongated period of time.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, it, it sort of sounds like you have to make a judgment call on your kind of, where your,
1: like, emotional bandwidth is at. Yes, At that absolutely. point in time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, like, it makes a big difference in, like, a rehearsal room where you're like, cool, we all know each other and, like, we're all on the same level. Um, and then being, like, in an audition room where you don't know the people and they don't know you. Um, yeah, so it changes through situation.
0: Okay. Well, that makes sense. And, I mean, I sort of get the sense that it's handled differently by everyone who might encounter it because mm-hmm. it is a very personal thing mm-hmm. um, and people will have different preferences about how they want to handle it when they present themselves and their gender to a room. Yeah, or absolutely. i end up correcting people. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that I had this reputation until a couple of months ago, but um, I was filming a show reel with a friend... And they sent an email to people filming it beforehand saying, um, here are all our pronouns. Myself and this other person are likely to politely correct you if you're wrong. H is likely to smash your car windows in. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know I had that reputation, but I love that I do. because It's like, it's that whole thing of saying, oh, what are your preferred pronouns? And my instant response is, they are not preferred. <laughs> my pronouns are they, them. Right. It's not a preference. It's not a choice. Um, And I am hard as nails on that. And similarly in other situations, which is where I think the reputation has come from. But I think when people think they have a choice to respect you and calling you by the right pronouns is respecting you, if they think that there's a choice or that there's leniency in that, people will just take the piss. So I'm not lenient with it, but I am nice about it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: I mean, I like that. I like the idea that, you know, it it is possible to be firm, but fair at the same time. (laughs) Um, Because you're totally right. I, you know, I'd never even considered the concept of the preferred pronouns being Mm -hmm. actually quite reductive and insulting.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. There's loads of little phrases that um, have been really caught onto by cis people who want to do well, but have Mm -hmm. not actually done... Any research into how to be an ally, um, mm-hmm. and that is coming out at the minute with preferred pronouns and phrases like "female identifying." Okay, which yes. is like, how can I'm I am very baffled as to how people cannot hear how how reductive and slightly aggressive those phrases are because it's mm-hmm. not a preferred pronoun and it's just a pronoun and it's yeah. not "female identifying" if if you are a female you're a female. The so trans female. women aren't female identifying, they're women. They are women. So if you've got a casting call that says female identifying people, like, just say women. Trans women are automatically a part of the bracket of women. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, okay. and, and if you're looking for, trying to include non-binary people in that, saying female identifying actually takes non-binary people out of that. Um, so what you could say is if you're looking for someone who... Looks like a woman presents as a woman. You can say female presenting, female and then presenting. you've got non-binary people who present femininely can then audition for that role. So it's it's all that kind of thing. If you look at the casting call, you go, "Oh, this person is trying, but they are wrong." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, look. I mean,
0: let's um, let's do a slight sort of backtrack because. I'm not entirely sure how um well-versed... the spotlight listenership will be mm-hmm. on a lot of the terms that we've already just sort of used. Yes. So um, let's let's do like a little glossary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've already had the mention of the word cis, yes. um, which I think now most people probably have mm-hmm. a good handle of. But yep. for anybody um, who is has heard that and kind of been like, "What the jazzy fizzle does that mean?" <laughs> um, let's let's give them a little rundown. We've got. Um, cis which I've got as uh, an adjective describing any person who identifies with the gender that they were assigned at birth is that correct yes okay perfect then um we've got transgender or trans um you're probably best placed to explain what that is
1: yeah um I think uh it's just anyone who doesn't identify with their assigned gender at birth okay any any bracket of any non-binary or binary trans person
0: Okay, and then non-binary. I've got down as a trans person who is not aligned with the binary identity of man or woman. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, to anybody listening, a transgender person can also be a non-binary person. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I am transgender non-binary. I don't identify with my assigned gender at birth. I don't identify um, or I... I am not my assigned gender at birth, and I am not a man, and I am not a woman. I am non-binary. Okay, and that's why, of course, your pronouns are they, them. Although there's a lot of non-binary people who don't use strictly they, them pronouns, or even they, them Mm -hmm. pronouns at all, because pronouns don't necessarily align with how we think the spectrum of gender should be. So if we're thinking that gender is... On a line, man at one end, woman on the other end, non-binary in the middle. Just explode that. That's not. That's not how gender can be. So you might have a he/him non-binary person, a she/her non-binary person, um, or someone who uses neo pronouns like z, z. So there's mm-hmm. a whole concoction, or even mixed pronouns, which I love. Um, people use they she they he or he she they. It's such a power move. I wish I could do it, but my, I, I want my gender to be he, she, they, but we don't get to choose our genders, unfortunately. My gender is they, them. Uh, I love that you described it as a power move. Like, <laughs> I think it's so powerful. You're like, you cannot misgender me. It's yeah, great. It's great.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, this is, this is fascinating. And I think, um, these discussions are slowly, slowly starting to come into the mainstream. Um, I think that what happens is uh, when people identify uh, themselves as being on kind of the margins, they're very, very good at being able to create safe spaces Mm -hmm. um, for themselves, but it then takes... Sort of years, often years and years and years for sort of um, the mainstream to kind of inverted commas you won't be able to see this listeners <laughs> but I just did air quotes um, it takes years and years for the mainstream to to catch up as it yeah. were um, and when it does um, there's obviously change that happens very rapidly mm-hmm. and it's very fast and um, language changes very quickly, terminology kind of shifts, and mm-hmm. what was once kind of uh, deemed as acceptable can very quickly become unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So I would I, I would just sort of say, I know that personally I've been a bit nervous about um, just saying the wrong thing and mm-hmm. upsetting people when it's mm-hmm. changing so rapidly, because yeah. um, I know that I come at it from such a position of privilege that I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. That it's it. sort of... And I just wonder um, for you, is it better that someone tries and vaguely gets it wrong and then kind of owns up to it? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it, yeah. how, how would you prefer people to kind of go about um, taking on this, this wonderful change that's occurring, but that yeah. can be sort of, I think, stressful for some people?
1: Yeah, I, so I think, um, and bear in mind that I speak on this in a position of, someone who is a white, um, Mm. and slim trans person. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily pass. So because what is passing, I don't, I don't look like a man or a woman. So a lot of people get it wrong with me. So I have a lot of experience with this, but my experience of it comes from a white perspective. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. my personal opinion, um, is that I would much rather people try and get it wrong. Um, but if you are going to try and get it wrong, you have to be aware that you will get it wrong. It's not a question of if you do. It's when you do, mm-hmm. this is how you should react or how you, you know, should accept what you have done. Um, so if you do misgender someone, um, in my opinion, and I'm going to say that everything in this is for me of course, personally. Of course, of um, I don't want anyone to go oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's so hard. I'm trying really hard and I've done all of this Googling and present me with their little folder. Um, Like just, yes, I got it wrong. Sorry. Thank you. Um, If you are trying to ask questions to educate yourself, don't make me your first point of call. Mm -hmm. There's so many people on the internet and I don't mean cis people. I mean trans people Mm -hmm. on the internet. Mm -hmm. Are constantly putting out educational resources for free, which is incredible. Um, and they're so easy to find. Don't make the trans person that you know or the few trans people that you know your first point of call. Always try and find the answer yourself if it's to a question. If you're just in a room and you've got something wrong, like a pronoun, um, apologize, correct yourself, move on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that sort of level of candor in workplaces is actually really nice Mm. um it would be really good if people could adopt that idea of like frequent and kind of constant feedback and instead of kind of catastrophizing it just being like okay cool absolutely learned a
1: thing and this is this is the thing that i say a lot which is if you've got like that for example with with these big shows that have no trans people in the room Mm -hmm. um and then there's, people will be like, oh, but it's it's really scary, the thought of having a trans person in the room, because what if this happens, and what if this happens, what if this happens, and I'm like, the sooner you get a trans person in the room, the sooner you will realise well, that's not scary at all, mm-hmm. because trans people aren't scary, and they're mm-hmm. just humans living and existing the same way that you are, so... Mm-hmm. admittedly like more stuff being thrown at us by certain people um but if you are scared of that that is very much an internalized thing that you as this person need to work on and figure out and deal with yeah um and it's not um I think the important thing is if you find yourself at that point to know that you can work on it you shouldn't work through it with a trans person you Mm -hmm. should work through that on your own with other cis people going I'm really uncomfortable with this why is that can we Mm -hmm. you know exchange thoughts on this um and then once you've kind of unpacked that Mm -hmm. taking that out into the world um because I think the last thing that trans people want to do is listen to cis people's fears about trans people (laughs) <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, there's there's enough of those floating
0: around yeah. at all times anyway, Absolutely. unwarranted and unsolicited. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I think it touches on this quite interesting thing of, um, uh, and I think this applies to uh, not just trans people, but anyone who is, you know... Again perhaps a minority mm-hmm. um where they're kind of thrust into positions of educators yes um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of unwillingly or unknowingly mm-hmm. and expected to do the kind of emotional labor mm-hmm. of teaching their otherwise well meaning but quite privileged um
1: peers yeah how to navigate these social changes definitely um I think that's it's it's very common in um well, for example, with with this particular industry of mm-hmm. you know having a trans character, um, and you know you're hiring a trans person for the trans character, good start, well done, amazing. Um, <laughs> we've had we've had a couple of instances of that not happening in the past year, um, but if you are needing a consultant for that show, mm-hmm. the actor is not the consultant, and if you are asking them to consult you need to pay them to be a consultant as well as being an actor. So if you have, if it's, for example, new writing Mm -hmm. and you're needing consult on the script, you need to hire them as consultant or hire a consultant with them in the room. Um, If if you're working with work that's transphobic for, you know, as in like there's a transphobic scene against this character, Mm -hmm. um, you need to make sure that you're taking responsibility for the well-being of the trans person in the room so maybe have a trans consultant in for that day um it's similar to like you know how we have um intimacy coordinators now and we didn't used to because work might not be safe and because also you can't expect the actors to do the job of the intimacy coordination because they're doing the acting already Yes. And those yes. lines get blurred. Yes. So if you're asking the trans actor to come in and one, educate cast that might not know, especially with, with for example, they then pronouns, which a lot of um, people struggle with more. Um, if you're asking them to do that, educate the cast and crew on the pronouns, um, then tell a story that might be hitting really close to home. Then mm-hmm. also... You know, doing their jobs as an actor, and then also correcting people when they get the pronouns wrong. Like you're asking a lot of one person there that you're not asking of anyone else in the room who's cis. And there's the rub. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> that makes that makes sense to me. Um, uh, in a yeah, in a lot of ways, mm. I think um, it's a conversation that I remember sort of started creeping up around Black Lives Matter as well, mm. um, with uh, a lot of people of color. Um, saying, you know, don't don't turn us into your educators. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, we're already doing a job. Yeah. Don't sort of stop us, at the, you know, by yeah. the water cooler at lunch and ask us to explain civil
1: rights to you. <laughs> absolutely. It's like, it's one of those things of, of racism and transphobia not being in any way the same thing, um, mm-hmm. but the way that uh, people treat marginalised communities having overlap. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There is a Venn diagram where
0: that overlaps yes. 100%. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let me have a look at uh, one of the other questions that I've got lined up. Okay, I mean, this is we've already touched on this, but it's nice to have a kind of top question for it. Um, mm-hmm. In recent years, um, there's been an increase in the dialogue about gender equality and equity in the performing arts community. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it that transgender and gender non-conforming voices are in those discussions and why?
1: Uh, In my opinion, it is imperative that transgender and gender non-conforming voices lead those conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, Because our society lives on sexism and white supremacy, misogyny and white supremacy. It is built on those things. If either Mm -hmm. of those two things didn't exist, our particular little society on our silly little island would crumble completely. Mm-hmm. So if we center black trans women in these conversations, quite frankly, they're sorting out every single every single problem that mm-hmm. exists in that scenario. White cis women obviously have there is prejudice against them. Undoubtedly. What if white cis women are fighting for fighting to have equality for them? By talking about the prejudices that they experience, they are not fighting for anyone past their experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that happen all the time. And it's sometimes malicious, but it's sometimes not. It's just that they don't know Mm -hmm. because they're going, well, this is what I've experienced and it's horrific. And yes, it is. And, And Jesus, I'm so sorry that that happens but if you're not able to see past your own experiences and see that actually centering this voice is going to do so much better for everyone mm-hmm. um i think that's that's where w- these conversations fall down quite a lot it, like if you are putting someone in a circle who has completely decolonized gender and mm-hmm. and torn gender apart completely um that person is going to have so much of a better understanding of one, why the gender pay gap exists and two, how to make it not exist. If you are, you know, still thinking in terms of men are this, women are this, nothing else exists. um, Then, and that's the way that our society views it, you're still thinking along the same train tracks, you're running parallel. Just with mm-hmm. a different opinion. If you've got someone that's coming in at complete right angle and going, Mm-mm, smash this train off the tracks and let's completely rebuild this in a way that that means we have true equity, true equality. Mm-hmm. I personally think that's the only way that these conversations will expand because we know that sexism exists and we've known for hundreds of years and it still exists. Mm-hmm. And as I say, Trans is not new, but the conversation surrounding trans is new to some people. Yes. And I believe that that conversation has the ability to come in, smash the train off the tracks and set gender inequality straight. Mm-hmm. Go on to a better word. No <laughs> <laughs> No pun intended. No pun
0: intended.
1: Um.
0: <laughs> uh. I mean, I think that that's... In its essence, what we're talking about or what you're saying is this idea that uh, the people who have already been doing all the talking have done the talking. Um,
1: We've had had white, cis, straight women talking for many, many years very, very well. And they have done incredible, incredible steps. mm -hmm. But at this point, these other voices have so much more to bring from their lived experience of this world and if we are ignoring them or worse denying them Mm -hmm. we we simply are not going to take any more steps forward and like I spent 19 years of my life on this earth presenting as female and being read as female I still often am read as female and experience misogyny and if people aren't going to take into account those experiences, they are also missing a massive part of the conversation. Um, and uh, things like, well, you know, the gender critical comment of, you know, if you have a womb, you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying, I, I really thought that feminism had taken womanhood past having a womb. I thought that was the yeah. whole, that was a whole thing that we were mm-hmm. trying to do for women. Um, and now it's kind of in the hatred of or the, um, all the unacceptance of trans people. We're taking steps back in feminism, um, especially with trans exclusionary radical feminism.
0: Yes. I mean, it's such a shame that it's been given the title of radical feminism because I think it's sort of, yeah. But yes, exactly.
1: Just <laughs> <It> trans-exclusionary. <sounds>
0: <laughs> That's it. Uh, really, truly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're right. It, it is a it's a big answer, and it's it's a big question that mm-hmm. I asked, um, and I think that. Uh, People sometimes don't want to ask the question and don't want to hear the answer because Mm -hmm. it is big and it goes kind of right down to the nebulous of um, what it is to be human, even, I think.
1: Um, The thing is, I feel like, and I I do say this a lot, which is that if people say like, you know, come with an issue or come with, you know, this prejudice is happening. Why? What's going on? Um, You know, it comes back to, to these points comes Mm -hmm. back to misogyny. It comes back to white supremacy every time. Mm -hmm. And I've not yet found a single question or comment that hasn't come back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes from consulting through many different, with many different people about many different things, um, and in particular transphobia, which always comes back to those two roots. Um, So those, you know... We've really got to work on as a society, as an industry, actively, more actively than we have been in the past, more actively than we are now. Yeah, I think, I mean,
0: I think you're completely right. (laughs) Um, With that being said, um, I was in a previous podcast episode, I was chatting to the drag queen Veronica Green, Mm -hmm. um, who was on RuPaul's Drag Race. And we were talking about the stigma that drag faces in the performing arts, mm-hmm. how it's often sort of seen as a, as a novelty act mm-hmm. that's labelled as a kind of one-trick pony or mm-hmm. a kind of, you know, if, if you're going to release a song as a drag artist, it's only ever going to chart in the drag category as opposed to kind of regular charts, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting the sense, and have done for a, quite a while, that in many ways the same thing can happen if you're a transgender or gender non-conforming performer, mm-hmm. where your identity can be seen as a hurdle to overcome mm-hmm. rather than something <laughs> to be sort of celebrated and yes. kind of, you know, actually
1: used and utilised in an effective way and kind yeah. of, you know yeah. and I just, know that's, that's definitely true, 100% I think um, it, it, I'm very lucky in that I have an agent who pushes me to be seen for things that a lot of people wouldn't see a trans person for. Mm-hmm. And not even necessarily actively, but subconsciously, they've not included trans people in their category of people that they're seeing for this role. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky to have an agent who who actively does that. Um, but yeah, and I think, if you think about the shows that have been cast in this last year, the shows that have been mm-hmm. badly cast in this last year, mm-hmm. um, where quite, you know, two or three have cast cis men as trans women. And that's where you... Where we—that's our starting point—that we're still essentially in. So you've got these tiny amount of trans roles that aren't being given to trans people, and trans people—it's so hard to be seen for roles that are written cis—and I did air quotes with that because what does Mm -hmm. that mean? What does written Mm -hmm. cis mean? Yeah, it's non-existent. It's—I think it is really hard because people, people, people—the same people who say oh, why does everyone have a label these days? Love to put everyone in a box saying, well, you can't play this role because you're trans. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I, for me, it started right when I was at drama school. I was told at drama school, I would never work in this job. Boys and girls, I will never work. Um, (laughs) And since I I left drama school, I have worked, obviously. (laughs) Um, I've played quite a few non-binary roles. I've played, I've played cis roles, air quotes. Mm-hmm. Who says they're cis? I played them. They're probably not sis, But it didn't matter. No. The character was the character. The character had whatever of the pronouns the character had. Um, and, and I played them. So I'm mm-hmm. bringing my experience into the room, my lived experience as a trans person, which probably colours the character, because as an actor, your life experience often does colour the character. Always does. does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it... And especially... I say a lot of unconscious bias I think there's a lot of conscious bias in it as well Um, of people saying yeah but this character isn't trans Mm -hmm. if we hire a trans person to play this character that will give this whole play a whole new meaning blah 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 and it's like will it Mm -hmm. will it or will it just be another actor playing this role bringing their lived experience to it the same way that it would be if you cast any actor we've seen hundreds and thousands of Hamlet's In a trans Hamlet, because Mm. I want to see Hamlet done differently because we've seen it done 700 times. Yeah. And I, I find it really interesting how, and and I think this comes back to fear that people are scared of the conversations that will be brought into the room if they hire a trans person, because if you hire, well, if you hire me, if you hire this trans person, (laughs) you can be guaranteed that I'm bringing a conversation about transness into the room because that's, that's what I'm bringing to the room that is probably, you know, in all the rooms that I've been unique to the room, because God forbid we have more than one trans person in a show. <laughs> it is it is a new perspective. And I find it really interesting that this industry in particular is scared of that, because isn't that what we are looking for the whole time? Mm. The reason that we see 100 applicants for one role is because we're seeing who can bring something interesting to it special and yeah Yeah. magical and different yeah so if you are narrowing who you're seeing for that role um and especially you know narrowing from people who have this vastly different life experience
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you are losing so much magic Mm -hmm. so much magic in your show baffling to me I think yeah I think
0: that's that's a totally valid thing and I think um ultimately especially if we consider what kind of a lot of the time you know art exists for Mm -hmm. is often to kind of be able to tell stories from kind of all walks and like planes of life yeah and if you're only working with a specific set of people who Mm -hmm. come from a specific set of walks of life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) then what are your stories missing out
1: (laughs) yeah and also how many times can you tell the same story
0: in the same way yeah Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, with that being said, again, um, how do you think arts venues, writers, directors, casting directors, and other performers can challenge the understandings of gender through art and performance? Mm -hmm. What scope is there?
1: There's, I mean, one, there's so much to be said about um, your own personal education. um, and that is, you know, every individual's responsibility. Um, I think I'm really bored of hearing conversations about trans people that don't have trans people involved in them. Mm-hmm. I'm really bored about hearing uh, an entirely cis team writing and casting a trans character. I'm really bored of hearing um cis people being cast as trans characters. Um, and the thing that we need to do to stop this happening is hire trans people at mm-hmm. every level and every stage, hire trans people. It's it's a really interesting thing. So I, I had very poor experiences at drama school um, as a direct result of the transphobia, the institutionalised transphobia that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could not deal with or teach or understand or even begin to work with someone who wasn't a binary man or woman. Very kind of like pick a side. Very pick a side. You know, everything was, um, and it, this speaks to, yeah. as I was, yeah, the point I made earlier about misogyny um, and still experiencing it as, as someone who is not a woman. Um, you know, they they saw me as a woman because they were transphobic they didn't know how to cast me because I'm not, you know, your typical looking woman, because I'm not mm-hmm. one. Um, and so I got cast as a mum six times in a row. Because oh if you are not the love interest as a woman, mm-hmm. you're a mum. Right. And that's an issue with the writer, with the director, with whoever cast it. It stems right back. So if we're going to change how we're viewing gendered casting and writing and performing, if you're a writer, work with a trans writer. If you're a director, Mm. work with trans directors, work with trans actors, work with consultants. We exist and we exist. Just hire us. Hire us and pay us for what we're doing. Because we do exist, you know. I set up a whole consultancy because I enjoy making work better um, and making places better for trans people. Normally when you do that, and it's my personal opinion, uh, the show gets better. Yeah. Because you're expanding it. You're expanding its horizons and no bad can come of that. You can't make a show worse by adding another viewpoint yeah and if you're doing that right from the start right from the base then it then it's in the whole time yeah so from the bottom up and from the top down yeah just hire trans people constantly make sure that you are you know in (laughs) you don't work with all white (laughs) casts you know you say no this is an all-white cast and it's 2021 and I don't want to do it don't yes. work with an all cis cast. Yeah, Say, it's 2021, and I don't want to. Don't work with an all straight cast. Don't work with an all male cast, unless it's something like. But even so, things like um, what's the newspaper one? Newsies. There's mm-hmm. one woman in that show, <laughs> and and it's it's and she does not not all that much for the show, and like kinky boots and stuff. <laughs> like you could take her out of the plot, and it wouldn't change it. So yeah. why have you not got gender non-conforming people in those shows? Make it less male heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that goes through this whole industry of, of men are still so centred in every aspect of it, writing, directing, performing. And I, you know, I think so much of the conversation of how do we centre these marginalised voices, well, the answer is de-centre the voices that are there currently,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we don't need to hear more stories about cis white straight men, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And
0: if we are going to hear stories by cis white straight men, find a way to make them different by bringing in the voices, yeah, of gender non-conforming performers, so and so on and so on. Absolutely, it's yeah. like
1: um, uh, my best experience of this was was. Actually, one of the last shows I did at drums, I I didn't complete my drum school training uh, because they told me that uh, if I wanted to bring my transness into the room, I could play a magical creature. Um, so oh I God. said bye bye. Um, but just before I did, I played my last mum, and it was it was in a Chekhov. and Chekhov is something that we've seen it's over so and over again many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just another mum, and it was in this. Chekhov by this white man and I was absolutely enraged and it was uh a director who I have so much time for because she said you know we have to bring everyone's lived experience into the room um and doing that I was like cool why am I sat here wearing lipstick with my hair done what what's Mm -hmm. happening because this isn't my lived experience um and she went yeah yeah, that's, it's not on. Let's change it up. I changed it up, brought my transness to the character, finally had permission yeah. to bring my transness to the character. Um, and everyone who's seen it, and very mind these are drama school tutors who see Chekhov at least three times a year. Yeah. They all came out saying, God, never seen it like that. <laughs> well, them didn't yeah. like it and it didn't matter. But they went, never seen it like that. Which is saying something,
0: right? It is, I think. Yeah, I, I do, do, I do think so. Ultimately, they, one of the things that's often said about, um, you know, creating art in any capacity is it's sort of better to have, like, a quite strong reaction, even yeah. if it's a kind of marmite reaction um, yeah. to the product, than a kind of mediocre, like, meh, yeah, there yeah. it is again.
1: It's absolutely. <laughs> like, I can't think of anything worse than seeing something I've seen a hundred times. Mm-hmm. So like, even if I'm going somewhere, I'm thinking, oh my God, I had such a viscerally horrible reaction to that. Well, I felt something, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what we're all yeah. trying to do, especially in this plague-ridden world? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's sometimes to be confused and to be sort of pushed a little bit yeah. is actually exhilarating in its own right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense and i think we're talking about you know arts venues as well i think that i i would perhaps argue that it's the duty of a lot of arts venues to start programming and working with uh, artists mm-hmm. and festivals or kind of having you know whatever it might be a season, season. Yeah, that is dedicated to um and more than just a season obviously mm-hmm. that's ridiculous to just confine it to one season but mm-hmm. I think it's it's the duty of the top down decision makers in arts venues to also be um, opening the door. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I think something that has been heard a lot over this over this year, particularly, or I've heard it more this year, um, is the kind of we welcome mm. applicants uh, who are the global majority and are LGBTQ plus and that's written on the thing and then they cast a this white straight person and i'm slowly coming to the conclusion that it's not enough to say we welcome you come to us you have to open the door mm-hmm. and you have to say hey you know what um you might not want to come in this door because this door has historically been quite nasty to you. So we're opening the door. We have a sorry bouquet for you and some cake. would be nice. (laughs) And I think, uh, because, yeah, it's so easy to say, yeah, of course, of course, trans people can apply for this role. Um, But if you're seeing this casting director consistently not cast the trans people in this role you're not going to apply for that that casting director Mm -hmm. because you're going, well, there's no point in wasting my time. We all know how much effort it takes to prepare for these kind of things. If you're taking all that time and you know that this this casting director isn't just not going to give you the time of day because they consistently haven't with trans people, even if they've gone away and educated themselves now and said, no, I need to do better and I'm going to do better. yes. That same casting director just putting out, yeah, trans people apply, isn't going to make a difference. Yes. you got to see proof in the pudding, you know. Um, I think that's that's going to take some some more time and some more effort, some more work mm-hmm. on the side of, you know, the cis, cis community.
0: I think you're right. I think that there's still quite a way to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yet, I suppose it is encouraging that the conversations and the actions are being had and taken. Mm. We're still very much in
1: the the time of the conversation has just exploded. Yes. So we're seeing massive pushback to it. So mm. in actuality, I don't know that the conversation is moving forward at this point. Mm-hmm. I think it's just happening. And I yes. think because there's, there is... A, there are so many loudly violent people um, that I think we've got a while, or not even a while. If all these people pulled together, it could be done tomorrow, but they won't. <laughs> but if, you know, we've, we've, we've really got a lot of work to do to get the conversation started. I wouldn't say that it even has yet. I would say the conversation has exploded. <laughs>
0: The conversation has exploded and there's lots of people sitting around a fire being like, well, we can't talk about that. Yeah. And then arguing about the fact that what they're going to
1: talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> It's like having the meeting about the meeting. Yeah. but um, this is And that comes back to having conversations about trans people without trans people. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that that is true. And I think that was actually the lead up to the next question
0: that I was going to mm-hmm. ask, which is, okay. um, I've already sort of we've very t- lightly touched on the idea that when people, uh, it, it's very common for marginalised people to form their own safe spaces, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. um, so that they can kind of express themselves and explore and celebrate their identities freely mm-hmm. and from a place of kind of genuine safety and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when societal conversations pertaining to these identities start entering the mainstream, mm-hmm. um, those who want to learn and understand can be super excited to get involved and in all their well-meaningness end up taking over. Mm -hmm. Um, So what would you say to anyone who is, you know, a cis heterosexual person Mm -hmm. who wants to be an ally? Mm -hmm. What would you say to them in terms of how not to be a jerk about it?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean i mean it goes for for cis people who are not het as well it's it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know cis gays have a lot to do as well um i think cis people educating cis people in a space where no trans people are is is great for example you know sharing information online that trans people have created mm-hmm. um you know that's a really great um resource. You can be the most well-meaning cis person, but if you are taking your idea of gender to a trans person, it's gonna be eggy. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're centering trans voices in all the work that you do. So yes. you're never talking over a trans person, you're not talking for a trans person. You are you are sharing directly from So if I've, you know, for example, gone into a consult, um, Mm -hmm. consult, I said that so weirdly, if I've gone into a consult um, and I have said an exact phrase, which then gets passed around to the team, Mm -hmm. great. Um, But if I've gone into a consult and said, your team needs to work on their understanding of pronouns. Yeah. And then the, t- the person who I spoke to passes that on as um, everyone needs to use they, them pronouns for everyone. Right. Which I'm not saying is a situation that could happen, but it's like that kind of thing of take the exact information because what I yeah. could have been saying is you need to unlearn the idea that a pronoun means a gender.
0: Yes, yes, yes. For example, how
1: we were talking earlier about non-binary people using he, him pronouns. Yes. Or she, her pronouns. So I could have been saying that and that exact information needs to be passed on. Mm -hmm. And if a cis person has taken that and gone, oh, but I understand that non-binary people don't use binary pronouns. So everyone work on their they them pronouns. Yes, okay. Yeah. So making sure that if you are taking information from a trans person, you are taking that exact information. You are not creating information surrounding trans allyship. You are Mm -hmm. simply sharing information surrounding trans allyship. Uh, Because cis people, I'd say 99% of cis people do not know how to be trans allies. So they are not equipped to teach how to be a trans ally. Yes, I think
0: that's the crucial point, isn't it? Is if they're not equipped to, to, if they don't know how to do it, then they don't know how to teach it. And in that case, they have to properly
1: employ the people who do know how to teach it. Absolutely. And make spaces for those people. Yes. So making, like, um, I know there's, there's such a thing in the town where I grew up um, where parents of trans kids in mm-hmm. that area can all kind of meet up That's like so cute. Isn't that sweet? And be like, "Gosh, isn't the healthcare system awful?" And you know, have that kind of conversation together, so they're not burdening their trans child with that conversation. Right. Um, I think that's wonderful. And as a group of cis people, centering transness, Mm
0: -hmm. what
1: they need to do is, you know, I don't know how often they meet. Maybe it's once a week. So once a month, invite an adult trans person to join their conversations right and pay them for their time right yes so they're they're not just you know like you can be the most well-meaning cis person you might have a trans child that you completely 100 fully support but because you are coming at it from a cis perspective you just do not know mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah i think it's yeah i think that and then apply that throughout whatever situation you need to
0: Yes, and I'm, I'm also hearing the idea that it, it can be brilliant to take the information that is given to you and, you know, roll with it to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but just because you've had one bit of information mm-hmm. um, off of someone at one point, yeah. that doesn't therefore make you a sort of
1: broad advocate, mm-hmm. you know, ad infinitum forever. Um, <laughs> and even, like, as, so uh, as, even as a trans person, can't take everything I say ad infinitum. I'm, yes. I'm white and I'm slim um, and you know I, like you need to talk to the breadth of the trans community um, yes. and hear every single person and um, we might contradict each other the same way okay. that everyone in the world contradicts each other um, yes, the
0: way that women contradict each other and men contradict each other exactly, and-
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah it's it's such a I think Empathetic listening, active listening, um, and I think with allyship in general, how to be an ally, I've seen on so many things this this past year, and the majority of it comes down to don't talk over the person that you're trying to help, um, listen to them, um, and and do your own work. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's what it boils down to. I love those three. It sounds like a very nice little uh, Instagram infographic. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've seen like probably seen Sierra. the Instagram infographic <laughs> and i
1: just spewed it back up, yeah. But I think I think the, the, the inf- Instagram infographics, for one, are like, I think they're great. I think they share so much incredible information. Um, but I think people think that's where it stops. It stops, yeah. You share the graphic, done my work. Woo! They don't actually take the time to go to the trans person's Instagram page Read the post, share that post, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then you know shut your mouth. Um, yeah. The important full stop at the end of Ally's mouth. <laughs>
0: uh. I love that, but but you're right, and I think that this is also again it kind of leads into what was going to kind of be the closing question, um, which is this idea of it's it's all well and good, kind of having consulting and kind of trying to create safe spaces and Mm -hmm. be part of those conversations. And indeed, as you say, shutting up when (laughs) you are in those spaces. Um, But I think personally, um, one of the biggest ways of showing support for anything is to um, be an active and vocal and Mm -hmm. visible supporter of the work that is being created about and for and by Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. of whatever community you are trying to support the cause of. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I'm interested to hear about um, some of your favourite artists, some of your favourite stories, some of your favourite production houses, whatever it might be that amplify and celebrate and challenge Mm -hmm.
1: um, in this realm.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there's... uh, There's... Oh, oh, okay, sorry, I'm all excited. Okay, Okay. so (laughs) you've got people like Trans Voices Cabaret... Um mm-hmm. run by Harrison Knights. Um and it's it's a cabaret night that showcases trans talent. Um it's it's wonderful. Um you've got uh Travis Alabanza, you've got Tabby Lamb, um who are, you know, incredible writers and creators. Mm-hmm. Um they create beautiful work. Um I, I feel like there is so much, and I'm, I'm going to broaden it out slightly, there's so much queer work that happens on yes. such a small scale. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, some of it happens on huge scales, but there's so much of it that happens on on these really small scales in, in these tiny little fringe venues for a really short run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I personally love them because when I see them I feel like I've I've seen something so intimate um, and I really love intimate theatre I think it's great uh, don't get me wrong I love going to see the West End and going to see some huge but Spectacle. intimate theatre especially when it's a story that you can connect with mm-hmm. it's so different one of the first shows that I went to see actually and this was in London because um, I, I grew up I grew up in the countryside very far away and um, and I drove up to see something. It was uh, the above the stag. And I had a friend in it. Oh, what's the name of the show? Beautiful Thing. Beautiful Thing. Beautiful Thing. Which is like, so <laughs> it was very standard. I I I did, I did. grew up in uh, the whitest, cisist, straightest place, <laughs> as, you know, all countryside people did, because everywhere is that. Um, <laughs> and so I was driving up to the big city, um, and it was before I had fully realised my queer identity and I was coming to see my friend in this show and I didn't realise it was gay and I walked into the theatre and I watched this show and I was just blown away. I was blown away mm-hmm. because it's, it's, you know, the above the stag is quite, it's, it's not that small, but it's quite like everything feels, I'm hugging my knees. The cat's close. close. Yeah, it feels yeah. really close and it feels like they are sharing something really intimate with you. And it's quite an intimate play as well. And I saw that and obviously at the time I was like, "You're just such a big ally and it means so much to see <laughs> things like this. Obviously now we realise, um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like seeing your, yeah, I've gone on all this ramble just to say representation
0: Oh, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I mean, if you have any favourite artists, you've already named a couple yes. or theatre companies or anything at all, venues even, that do really good, mm-hmm. um, that, that are dedicated to showcasing queer stories and queer
1: work. I mean, um, this is the thing. There's a lot of places that are really dedicated to showcasing queer work. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they showcase is cis white gaze. Okay. Um, so, like, the reason I can't necessarily think of a name or a place is because it will always be that random show that I booked at vault mm-hmm. and I go and watch. And as I'm sitting there, I realize it's a non-binary character. What? Right. So like going somewhere and seeing representation mm-hmm. is incredible. I don't know that I've actually necessarily gone to see something that I've booked going, Oh, this is my representation. I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, and if I have, it's been because my friends are in it. Okay. So okay. The, the community of trans actors, one, we all know each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, if someone's in a show and they're playing a trans person, we all know, and we all go and see it because we go and see them because they're our friend. Um, yes. Going and seeing something random in a festival, at a fringe and being surprised to see myself on stage represented in another human being, that's that's what feels great That's the moment of magic isn't it? Yeah and also things like Alex Thomas Smith being cast in Anne Juliet, they finally have a person who doesn't identify as cis playing that role and yes. I categorically was not going to go and see Anne Juliet categorically was not because mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go and watch this man do this part. I mm-hmm. will not. It's it's ridiculous. And now I get to go and see Anne Juliet. Right. <laughs> 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 so I think it's more, for me personally, the experience of being like, of being like, oh my God, I'm seeing myself in a space. Right. Where I right. wouldn't expect to see myself. That's great. Um, yes. And maybe in five years' time, when I don't have to be surprised at that, then I will be able to come up with this list of venues, people, places. I love that. I think I think it's it's a very potent
0: point that's come out of the question that I asked because <laughs> I just assumed that that you know that it was you know everybody has their favourite so and so artist that inspired them this way or that way or this way, and I think that it's telling mm. that. You're, you're saying, actually, it probably needs a few more years before we get to that place.
1: Because, yeah. um, I mean, the names that I can tell you are, I'm I'm inspired by them because they're my friends. Yes. And I know what it's taken for them to be in that room. Because yes. they probably rang me after the audition going, blah, 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 Yeah. Um, and, like, seeing them get announced is really exciting. Um but yeah, like when I was growing up and when I was training, I didn't have I didn't have any of that to look to and go, oh, that's inspiring. Um, and that, that's but, main, but also that was because important. my training was so. My course didn't focus any marginalized voices. I didn't know right. they existed. So it wasn't until I left and I started you know, really, really trying to connect with my community and my industry. Mm-hmm. And then I finally found these group of people who are all incredible. Okay. I see it. I, I can see that. I can see the
0: journey in my mind's eye. <laughs> <playing> out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I've had an amazing chat. I feel like... I mean, I feel like I've got to know you. I feel like I've learned things. I feel like I've said some dumb stuff, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, H. Wiley, thank you so much for coming and chatting to me. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to get to know you. Um, better, deeper um, in, in all of your kind of nuances and humour. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, you have a swift recovery from COVID. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> and where can we find, uh, and where can we find more of you online or otherwise?
1: Um, you can find me on, I, I'm not I'm not particularly active on social media at the minute, um, but you can find me on Twitter, HYLE mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, H, full stop, Wiley. Um, (laughs) You can even find me on TikTok because that is what COVID did to (laughs) me. Um, Also at H. Wiley. Um, Yeah, all of the H. Wileys. (laughs) Amazing. Well,
0: uh, listeners, it's H. Wiley in all the variations. Um, (laughs) um, Thank you so much. And uh, listeners, peace out thanks for listening to this week's podcast if you have any questions or queries about anything you've heard feel free to get in touch with us you can do so by emailing questions at spotlight.com or feel free to send us a tweet to at spotlight uk if you want any more podcasts news or advice about the performing arts and casting industries then head over to our website spotlight.com and navigate to the news and advice section that's all from us for now see you next time